One of the things we believe as Baptists is that the Bible is our final authority for matters of faith and practice. The Bible, and the Bible alone. And so for these next uh, couple of days or so, we're going to be emphasizing being renewed in the truth. So these first two sessions this morning are a little bit quicker than the last two. We'll do those combined, and we're going to emphasize renewed in truth. And in the second uh, half, we're going to emphasize renewed in trust and how we trust our, our Bible and how we define the Bible that we use. And so looking forward to that. So we're going to start with three crucial promises about the Scripture. Three crucial promises about the Scriptures, and we'll start there. Uh, the Bible is an amazing book. I don't know if you think about it. Uh, when we read the, our Bible, I don't know that we consciously think about the fact we're reading stories that are sometimes 3,000 years old. Currently, right now, I'm finishing up the book of Leviticus, my second time through this year, and uh, going through Leviticus. And so when, I, when I'm reading Leviticus, there are several things run through my mind. Number one, am I almost done? That sometimes runs through my mind. Uh, the other thing that sometimes runs through my mind is this. Mike, did you realize you just read something that is uh, nearly 3,000 years or older, 4,000 years old? It doesn't seem like that because the Word of God is timeless. Uh, it, it transcends time. and it transcends, I don't think about the fact that I'm reading an event that happened in a different culture, different language, a different continent, because the Bible transcends all of that. And the Bible is a great book that God has left to us. And so in this first session, we're going to talk about God's attitude toward the Scriptures. Because if we're going to understand our response to the Word of God, it helps us to understand His response that He's already given to us in Scripture. And so here's the promises we're going to look at. The Bible takes nearly 1,600 years to write from start to finish. 1,600 years. 40 different writers. To illustrate that, if we were to just take a group of 40 people from this room, go over maybe to a Rangers game or something like that, and sit there and watch all nine innings, and then come back on Sunday and ask each of you to give us a report of what you saw, and to sit sort of maybe as a panel, and we could ask you questions about the game, uh, who was a starting pitcher, who came in the relief, how many pitches were thrown, who had the first hit. If we begin to ask these kind of questions, I believe we might find some contradictions in the report. Contradictions in a report that would be less than 24 hours old. Over a span of 1,600 years, 40 different people, three different languages, different continents as well, not one contradiction. Because the Holy Spirit of God is superintending this process. And so the Word of God, written in three different languages, 40 different people, three different continents, one book, not just a compilation of 66 individual books, one book with a unified message telling us God's plan of redemption for us. Uh, so in our churches, we stress the fact that this book... It's what we follow, even from practical things. There's a reason in Baptist churches that our pulpits are in the center. Our pulpits aren't off to the side like most Protestant churches. We don't have the communion front and center in our churches. The front and center, the focal point of our worship service is the pulpit. Why is that? Because God placed a primacy on preaching in the Scriptures. And so in our worship service, there's an emphasis on preaching the Bible, because the Bible is our final authority in matters of faith and matters of practice. Let's start this morning in Psalm 119. Uh, if you're going to talk about Scripture, that's a great place to start. It's the longest psalm in the, in the book. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is an interesting uh, layout. 
when I was a kid reading this, I would work and I would go to my dad and I'd say, Dad, what are these funny characters at the beginning of each of these sections? And uh, my dad's a pastor in Georgia. And my dad's answer was, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but just read the Bible. It'll be good for you. And uh, years later, I learned that they were Hebrew letters from the Hebrew alphabet. And I still didn't know why it was there. Uh, maybe yours has maybe the, the letter. Maybe it has the word. Uh, mine has both. Uh, Aleph over verses 1 through 8. Bait over verses 9 through 16. Gimel over verses 17 through 24. And it just goes on like that. Here's what's happening. In the first eight verses, when the, the psalmist begins to write, the first eight verses all begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph. It's a mnemonic uh, tool. It's sort of like a lot of times our, our Baptist preachers alliterate everything. And so uh, as a kid, my dad would say, all right, and he'd give that first point. If it started with P, I was trying to think of the next two P words. Wasn't necessarily listening to his message. I was trying to guess what the outline was going to be uh, because it was sort of predictable. Uh, and, and the reason we sometimes do that is because we believe it, it helps people to remember. And so the psalmist is doing something similar to that here. The first eight verses deal with that first letter of the alphabet. The next eight verses deal with the second letter of the alphabet. And he goes through his entire alphabet. He exhausts his alphabet talking about the scriptures and he doesn't exhaust everything he could say about the scriptures. So that's sort of the idea behind it. And, and look at verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, not that I could win the memory versathon. <laughs> thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Verse 15. I will meditate in thy precepts. I'll have respect unto thy ways. Verse 8, 16. I'll delight myself in thy statutes. I'll not forget thy word. Over in verse number 105, a verse that's familiar to all of us as well. Thy word is a what? Lamp, Lamp unto my feet and a Lamp. light unto my path. Verse number 152. The psalmist now says, concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old, thou hast founded them forever. And then in verse number 160, thy word is true from the beginning. It's true. It's trustworthy. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. <clears throat> verse 165 is a verse I quote often to people who get offended. Verse 165, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And so when people get offended at me, I say, you don't love the Bible like you should. And then I just smile, and they just get more offended. 176 verses, they all mention the scriptures in one way or another. All but five of these verses deal directly with the Word of God. And so as we think about God's attitude toward the scriptures, I want to give you briefly three promises that I believe will help us get the right frame of mind as we get started. To do that, let's turn our Bibles from Psalm 119 to Psalm 138. Just a few pages over. Psalm 138, verses 1 and 2. I'll praise thee with my whole heart. That's a great statement. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. First thought, when we talk about promises about the Word of God, God will magnify His Word. He's going to magnify it. 
Uh, the word magnify has the idea of making great. It carries the idea of exalting. It, it carries the idea of making something strong, of making something important. Start to think about those definitions. The Bible says that God is going to magnify his word even above his name. And I want that to just settle for just a moment. We all know the importance of the name of God. We know from the book of Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that. We know that one day every knee and every tongue will confess who Jesus is. His name is important. And yet when you read Psalm 138 verse 2, God says he's magnified his word even above that. So God puts a premium on the word of God. God says the word of God is important. How important? Well, Jesus answers that for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone. We had some good bread products over here today, and it's what hit the spot this morning. But the Bible says we're not going to live by that alone. How are we to live? But by every word that proceeds from his mouth, right? And so we think about God magnifying his word. In Psalm 68, verse 11, the Bible says, The Lord gave the word, and great was the company of those that published it. Uh, We'll talk more about that verse uh, a little bit later this morning. But understand the fact that the Lord gave the word. We're not dealing today with man's ideas. We're not dealing today with man's thoughts or man's words. What we hold in our hand this morning is the very word of God. That's not just a title. We sometimes, it, we sometimes say it so quickly. It's the word of God. Yes, it is. But think about what we're saying. It's the word of God. This is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's from him. You think about the fact what God has given to us. And you think about the fact how it has stood the test of time. Uh, I love to read. I have tried to build into my children a love for reading. Uh, I have one daughter, uh, her senior year in high school, she read through the Bible once a month. Uh, and I was like, well, you go, girl, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not following that trade. That's a little too much for me. I, I can't keep that pace. And, but she, she, every time uh, dinner was over, she, I need, to, I need to go to my room and read. Okay, but uh, go. It's just, it was funny to watch. Uh, others of my daughters have read. I, I've challenged them to keep a list of books they're reading. And, and they had this little Excel document. So sometimes 200 books in a year or 300 books in a year. And, and one of my daughters was like, uh, you know, how many books could she read in a day? And, and now she's almost blind because of all the re- I think. Uh, I just like to read. When I sometimes look at the books they've read over the last 19 years that we've had children in our house, uh, sometimes when they read the books, they were like, you know, everybody's got to read this book right now. And now nobody's heard of them. When in a 20-year period, those books have spiked and then gone into insignificance. This book is still significant. And so God has magnified his word. Acts 8, verse 4, when Saul persecutes the church, the Bible says they went everywhere, not running for their life. They went everywhere, not to, to try to get away from Saul. They went everywhere preaching the word. Psalm 119, we've mentioned already, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm staying down in the street here at the, the, the church apartment, and, <clears throat> and the rooms, uh, Brother Andrew called them the cave. Uh, they are very, very dark, which is great. We're, we're like, we drove 21 and a half hours to get here, and so when we got into the dark room, it was lights out literally, and we didn't wake up for a long, long time. <clears throat> when I did wake up, I was, I was trying to find a light. 
I was trying to find out, because I'm trying to think, this is a strange room, strange bed. Where did I put the suitcase? I do not want to trip over the suitcase. And so I'm trying to find my phone, but it's so dark I can't find my phone. But I know if I can get to my phone, I can turn the light on. I finally stumbled around and I got it. And just having a little light on my phone gave me a little bit of a uh, the next couple of steps I needed to take until I could get out to where the, the windows were. And now the sunlight was coming in and it was all illuminated. The Bible does the same thing. It shows us what's up ahead and it shows us our next step to take. And so if we follow this, we'll never be lost. It's a perfect guide. I don't make the drive from California to Texas every weekend. <laughs> so I don't have the route memorized. I just know, uh, go east, young man, <laughs> go, go east. And, and so we find a freeway that runs east. But how did I get here? Well, uh, I pulled out my phone. I, I put in the directions. I, I used my app. And I kept hearing often, rerouting, recalculating, and uh, <laughs> stop here. And you're going the wrong way. And, uh, and basically, I followed that guide. And I pulled up. And ta-da, we're here. But I've followed that guide other times, and I've said, ta-da, where am I? <laughs> and I've called the pastor to maybe a church I'm going. He says, oh, man, I knew that was going to happen. That happens all the time. He took you to our old building, and we're not meeting there anymore. Haven't met there for 20 years. Great, preacher. How do I get to where you're at now? Uh, and so then we draw it out, and I get the, the old directions. I grew up with Georgia. Now, when you see that tree leaning over against the fence, and don't turn there, you know, and uh, sort of get there that way. So sometimes human guides will let us down. When my wife and I, 24 years ago, moved to California, there were no smartphones. So we had a Thomas Roadmap guide. We had a guidebook that we had with us. We'd flip over, now going leaving the state of Georgia, now moving into Alabama. And so that's how we got here. This book right here has never led me astray. It's a perfect guide, and God says he would magnify it. And because it's a perfect guide, here's what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. Not your ideas. Preach the word, because that will get the job done. Heaven and earth may pass away, but not these words. God is going to have them for us for all time. It's an infallible guide. So, first off, God will preserve his words. Second off, God will preserve or protect. Either one of those words will be appropriate. God will preserve or protect his word. We'll talk more about this in the last lesson today. But let me describe this a little bit in action. In the late 600 B.C.s, during the time of Josiah... The scrolls had sort of been lost. Uh, there had been evil kings that had not taken the people back to the word of God. And, and yet, while the people weren't accessing the scriptures, God always knew where they were, and he directed a good king back to them. And as a result, Josiah had a mini-revival in his day. In that same time period, just a little bit later, you have a wicked king named Jehoiakim. Jeremiah writes a letter, sends it by his scribe to uh, the king, in Jeremiah chapter 36, the king takes that and he cuts it with a penknife, puts it in a fire. You can't destroy God's word with a penknife. So God just gives the words back to Jeremiah again. And Jehoiakim is dead and the word of God still goes on. 175 B.C., uh, you had the time of Antiochus Epiphanes trying to destroy the temple. And you had him trying to destroy the Judaism way of life. And you had him trying to destroy the Jewish scriptures. And yet, uh, King Antiochus is dead, and our scriptures continue. In the 140s, 130s, 140s A.D., a guy by the name of Marcion was an early church leader, wealthy man, and heavily financed the church he was a part of. I call Marcion, in some of my Bible classes, I call him Marcion the Mutilator. That's what I call him. Marcion felt like the Bible, the scriptures were too Jewish, so he began to 
excise anything from the text that made Jesus look too Jewish or made Christianity look too Jewish. And so he just began to cut scriptures out and then began to teach that from his platform. The local church leaders found out what he was doing. They kicked him out of the church. They gave his money back. Marcion is dead. The scriptures march on. In 303 AD, Roman Emperor Diocletian, I call him Diocletian the Destroyer, (laughs) he said, if you have scriptures in your possessions and you don't surrender them by this date, I'll not only burn the scriptures, I'll burn you. And it was his edict in 303, and the church was like, what do we give up? What do we surrender? What do we hold on to? What are we willing to die for? Well, Diocletian is dead. We read the scriptures this morning. God protected it. In the 360s, there was a Roman Empire. He, he was known as Julian the Apostate. Again, trying to stamp out the scriptures and trying to stamp out Christianity. He's dead. The scriptures continue. In the 1500s, William Tyndale was printing the Bible in English. Uh, we need to remember the Bible wasn't always in English, and it was illegal at that time to have the Bible in English. I want you to just think about that. It was illegal to have the Bible in English. You ever count how many Bibles you have at your house? <laughs> when our first daughter was born, there's something about your first child being born. It's, it's a very special occasion. Everybody wants to celebrate with you. By the time the fifth daughter is born, it's like, oh, you have another kid. Uh, but that first daughter, uh, when she was born, everybody was coming to visit us, and everybody wanted to give her her first Bible. So we had this drawer where we just sort of opened it at the hospital, and, oh, she'll be so glad to get that. Maybe write a little note in there so we'll know who that's from. And when they'd leave, we would timestamp it uh, so we would we'd still remember which one was actually the first Bible. But my parents gave them their first Bible. Her other grandparents gave her her first Bible. Our pastor gave her her first Bible. And uh, Dr. Don Sis gave her her first Bible. And, and all these people were giving her their first Bibles. The kid couldn't even read. She already had six or seven Bibles. In the days of William Tyndale, it was illegal. Tyndale had run out of money. Bishop Tunstall at the time was trying to stamp out Tyndale's Bibles. What Tunstall didn't know was his trusted assistant was good friends with William Tyndale. He went to Tyndale and said, you're out of money, right? Yes, I'm out of money. That's how we know he was a Baptist. He was out of money. And so he said, Tyndale, I got an idea for you. Let's take these unfinished manuscripts that you're not satisfied with. Let's turn them into Bishop Tunstall. He'll pay me for it. I'll bring the money back, and we'll use that money to finish the project. Tunstall thought he was stamping out the scriptures. He was just refinancing them. God protects his word. 1778, Voltaire said, within 50 years of my death, the Bible will cease to exist. A Bible printing society bought his house. And today, the Bible is printed in his house, and Voltaire is dead. The scriptures live on. Uh, I don't know who wrote it. Uh, It's anonymous, but last eve I passed beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, then with twinkling eye, The anvil wears the hammer out, you know. So I thought, the anvil of God's word. For ages, skeptics' blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed. The hammer's gone. God protects his word. The word liveth and abideth forever. Not one jot, not one tittle being lost. You protect what you love. 
And because God has magnified his word above his own name, he protects his word. It's one of his promises. And a third promise this morning, God will bless his word. Let's turn over to Luke chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 11. There's a story here where a woman comes to meet Jesus, and she has an interesting greeting for him. Verse number 27. Luke 11, verse 27. came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. She's basically saying, Blessed is Mary. Notice what Jesus says. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. One is blessing Mary. Jesus is gently redirecting that blessing to the word of God. Jesus blesses the right response to the word of God. When you read the book of Revelation and you come to chapter 1, the third verse, there's actually a blessing built in for those who hear it, those who read it. God will bless his word. Uh, Jesus corrects this woman and says, hey, I'm glad you want to bless Mary, but let's bless the word of God instead. Uh, I constantly meet Christians. They pray. Uh, They believe the word of God is uh, the word of God. They believe it's God's inspired truth. They believe they follow it. It's all good. And they pray and they often say, "Uh, I don't feel like my prayers are getting answered. Well, the Bible isn't a, a secret magical book where we rip verses out of context and claim them uh, and try to manipulate it to get our wants and desires. God is not the cosmic Santa Claus upstairs waiting to grant our request. But those who hear the word of God and those who keep it, those who practice it, those who follow it, understand that there's laws in the Bible of sowing and reaping. And God blesses those who sow bountifully with the word of God. They reap bountifully the promises of the word of God in their life. James 1.25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. John 13, verse 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Our kids learned a song in Sunday school uh, as they were growing up. It's, uh, I will obey the first time I'm told. Have you guys ever heard that song? How many of you ever heard that song? I'm just curious. Okay, I'm not going to sing it, so you still have never heard that song. It says, I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away. Uh, I'll never ask you why. I'll I'll never give a sigh. I will obey right away. It's a great little song. And so what would happen oftentimes, our kids uh, would maybe not respond on the very first time, and so uh, Dad would sort of make a parody of that song. And it would go, I will obey the 21st time I'm told. I will obey sometime. I'll always ask you why. I might even give a sigh. I will obey someday. And they would go, Dad, that's not the way it goes. I said, but that's the way you're acting. Oh, sorry, Dad. You know, and they would go back and, and they'd think about that song. And, and we'd do a little correction and, and uh, we'd move on. Now watch, watch. It isn't happy are the ones who hold the Bible under their arm. These are the blessed people who know how to tuck the Bible correctly and and uh, maybe even use the left hand so that they're ready to shake with the right hand. It's not, it's not blessed are those that hold it. It's not blessed are those that have many of them on their shelves. It's blessed are those that read it and hear it and do it. And this is God's response. Three crucial promises. He'll magnify it. 
He'll protect it or preserve it, and he'll bless those that follow it.